Chaos looms, and darkness swiftly approaches. It's time to build your fires and defend the perimeter. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of The Perimeter. I'm joined today by Tanner Guzzi. He is an author, a father, a patriarch, as well as a masculine style coach. I owe a lot of my own uh, taste to his direction. Tanner, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm pumped to do this with you. Yeah, man. Uh, the last time I had you on, it's been over a year now. Has it that been that long? My, yeah, and that was my old podcast, too. Uh-huh. I think the last time we spoke was uh, when uh, I was leaving uh, Orlando from the 21. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the last time you and I got a chance to do other than just, you know, a little Twitter exchange here and there or anything. Yeah, a lot of things have changed for you since then, man. You've got the new kid. It makes number five. I'm still yep. waiting on you to catch up to me, though. <laughs> you got a head start, man. My oldest is only nine. You got a couple out of the house. Yeah, I got three of them out of the house, nine total altogether. So let's yeah. do this, man. <laughs> All right, challenge accepted. <laughs> challenge accepted. You know what? And if you can pull it off, I'm not going to get mad if you pop out four at once. <laughs> oh, deal. Deal. We'll, we'll, we'll use that as a way to catch up real yeah, quick. We'll leave that on the table. <laughs> so Tanner, uh, a lot of people know this. A lot of people don't. But sometimes on social media, you come into like the crosshairs of these uh, I love watching it. All right. I do. You come into the crosshairs of these guys who are uh, the more progressive side or, or trying to push everyone else into the progressive side of the Mormon community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the title of this show is the perimeter. There's no more perimeter community based group out there that I can think of off the top of my head other than the Mormons. <laughs> and I mean, with good reason, you've had to be, yes. you know, it, it, it's been a rough history. Yeah. It's been a lot, but you guys carved out your own little spot of the empire right there in Utah. And pretty much the state is yours at yeah. this point. Yep. You know, people can come in and they can fuss and you know, you can stay here if you like, but you'll behave if not, Eventually, you'll, we'll run you out of here. And I love that. <laughs> and I think that's needed uh, with regular communities, we, you know, because where I live, there's nine houses on my street. We live mm -hmm. in a very small neighborhood. Of the nine houses, there's only three families that own all nine collectively. Gotcha. Right. There's three over here, two over here, three over here. But everyone, there's like three families in this neighborhood occupying these nine houses. Gotcha. And Anybody that tries to move into the neighborhood and build on it, they will get a feel whether or not they're well, going to be welcome. And they'll also get a feel of whether or not they're going to be welcome. Right. And we've had some people move in just on the back street over. They don't last very long if they're not the right kind of people. And so they leave. And it's nothing to do, you know, race, creed, color, any of that crap. Mindset. It's. It's mindset and it's values. If my kid is running around outside, can I trust you? you right. Know, we're, we're a very tight knit community. And I, I feel that uh, that is what the majority of the entire Mormon community has become just on a much grander scale than my neighborhood. Yeah. And it's one of the things that you, like you said, it was kind of forced upon us because you know, for a lot of people who don't know the history, you know, the, the church, 
started back in 1830 in Palmyra, New York. And from there, we got chased out into Ohio. And from there, we did different stints in places like Independence, Missouri, or up in Nauvoo, Illinois, or anything until eventually we got chased completely out of the country. And because it was literally like raping our women and killing or massacring our kids and all of this stuff and to the point where we left the country and moved out into the desert of Utah, which at the time was in Mexico and converted into this beautiful, we call it, you know, it blossomed like the rose and it's this beautiful place that it is now. And for a lot of us, it has become this, this thing where by design, by, by mere virtue of the fact that it's been 200 years of different levels of persecution. I mean, just, I think it was just like within the last 15 or 20 years, Missouri finally rescinded its extermination order on members of the church, which was essentially, you can kill us just by being members of the church. That was still legal in the books until just within the last two decades. And so that's the history that we that we dealt with. And you can imagine that there's a little bit of one, the tight-knit, that, the tight-knit aspect that comes from making those kinds of sacrifices together. And you want people that are gonna be ride or die with you. And then two, a little bit of suspicion as far as people who come in and are going to want to change things. And very quickly, and sadly, we're seeing this. We're especially seeing this in Salt Lake City where it's no longer majority Latter-day Saint. But there's this desire to, you know, well, you need to make room for us in your space. And then we do. And then, well, there's not room for you here anymore. And so you end up getting chased out. And it's the same thing that we're seeing in online communities and, and everything else. Yeah. You know, when I was talking to Jack Donovan on the previous episode, we were discussing his book, Fire, it, uh, Fire in the Dark. Mm-hmm. One thing that he mentioned was uh, uh, in the book, there's this new myth that he essentially created, the myth of the first men. Mm-hmm. There's these people that came from somewhere. They can't go back for whatever reason it is. And they have to go out into this untamed and uncharted chaotic wilderness, build a fire, fire, sun, community, home, and then expand from there and build up their walls. And that is essentially what you guys had to do. That's Utah. Welcome to Salt Lake. Yep. Yeah. You guys are essentially uh, a very good embodiment uh, uh, example of the myth of the first men. Mm-hmm. You know, it, but we find that more now in retrospect than back then. You were just, we got to survive. Right. We, we got to go somewhere where they're not going to try to hunt us down. Right. And but you see it more now. You guys are doing what more people need to do. You know, in Christian communities, uh, especially when you see the new progressive Christians, you know, there's been plenty of Catholic churches. My wife is Catholic. I'm not, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's plenty of the Catholic churches where these the values and the rules are changing to match this, you know, the times rather than the times being forced to conform to the doctrine. Right. Which that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, if a faith is uh, set by these preset tenets, then you have to adhere to that. You can't say, well, I don't like these rules anymore. These rules don't fit me. Well, then you're not going to be a part of this church. Right. Pick a different faith. Well, and it's hard too, because I think a lot of times, and I see this within my own faith and you see this a lot because you go through the history of any sort of faith and change is part of what happens and the faiths that do it right, especially if you actually believe that you're founded on truth and you have a direct line to God or the gods that you believe in and that they 
one of the ways that they manifest their will is through the the particular religion religion that you belong to you have the idea that the doctrines can't or shouldn't change especially within christianity we don't believe that the doctrines can change god is the same yesterday today and forever but that doesn't mean that the particular practices by which those doctrines are manifested or things that change a really good example of something like this is modesty okay the the value of modesty is irrevocable that said you hold women today or men today and our ideas of modesty to the same standards that existed 200 years ago as far as don't flash any ankle i i don't know about you i don't get turned on when i see ankles right never so, yeah that's true right and maybe i just haven't seen the right ankles but but the reality is is there is this weird dance and back and forth. And so often you get people who become fundamentalistly rigid because they conflate the doctrine with the practice, or you get people who become ridiculously progressive and they think that all doctrine is relative. There are no eternal principles. Nothing is actually maintainable. It should all just ebb and flow based on how people feel right now. And the reality is, is that you need to have your doctrines that are hard and fast and unchanging. And then you also need some measure of flexibility to be able to allow for the practices to change as well. And that get, that's where things get really tricky for a lot of people. I agree. Um, one example that, that comes to mind would be the telegraph, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, it was just early text messaging. And with the way you describe it, this is how I see it. We bring in elements of the old so that they that are still relevant to the now but, you know, we're not tapping out on our phones in Morse code. Right. You know, we're sending full-blown messages. The basic idea of everything is still there. It's just adapted. We're still communicating via the written word across exactly. great long distances. However, we've modified how it's done. Right. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pagan, right? I go through, I do rituals. Mm -hmm. um, I don't sacrifice humans. Right you know we're going to clear that up just so everybody who's listening knows for sure <laughs> right um but i actually uh said something about that the other day you know people thought, uh, laugh and want to look down on pagan rituals but in christianity the ritual is you eat the flesh and drink the blood of your god right you know at least yeah. once a month no, so no, you, you know we need to uh, that's one of the things i've been focusing on a lot is leaning more into the ritual component of it and getting more into the body and the spirit of our rituals as opposed to just thinking oh rituals are weird and not embracing the fact that we have them baked into the cake for us for sure right however i can still make an animal offering mm -hmm. and then consume that animal just because i killed it on a stone and then bled it, I said some words, and then I ate it, well, that's, it's still holding on to the basic principles of what that ritual means. Right. And what if the blade that you used to kill it wasn't totally handmade in some ancient forge, but it was something that was purchased and it was made by modern means? That doesn't mean that you've somehow sacrileged the entire importance of the ritual and what it means because you're still adhering to the basic tenets and the basic doctrines, the foundations of it, even if you've adapted certain ancillary elements in order to be able to make it congruent with what's happening in the, in the world today. Right. But I do have a handmade blade. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say that out there. Yes. You know, there's this there's this idea that everything is now relative everything mm -hmm. is now subjective 
we have subjective morality. I mean, we all know that justice has always been subjective because it it was justice for everyone that the Mormons been hunted down, but it certainly wasn't justice for you guys. Right. We know justice is subjective. Morality, truth, trust the science, all of that is now subjective. Uh, and But there's still this other side of it where only one's subjective view matters. You know, I don't think, you know, for example, the, uh, the progressive Mormons, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's okay for me to do this and that and this and that, the other, even though it goes against every single proclamation, because those were written back then. It's like the second amendment only applies to muskets yes. and locks and, you know, all, all that crap. Uh, and their subjective view is the one that because it's popular and because it's woke and it gets enough attention that everyone goes, yeah, sure. I can see that because they don't want to rock the boat, but it takes a lot of faith for one, but a lot of grounding in your own values that you have and others like you in the Mormon community have to be able and willing to draw that hard line and say, I don't care if I piss you off. Yeah. And yeah. not enough people have that because it's subjectively objective at that point. <laughs> right. You have to say, yeah, this, no, the, I do believe that this is objective reality and that these are, these are fundamental because I do, I, my friend and I, we run a uh, podcast related to all this church stuff. And this is one of the things that we were talking about last night is you have to actually believe this stuff. And I do, I believe that the things that I believe are true. I believe that the things that you believe that they're false. I don't believe in the gods that you do. And I think that they're false gods. And that doesn't mean that you and I can't find ways that we can uh, respect each other, ways that we can align on different morals or principles. I think you would be a fantastic neighbor. And I would trust my kids going over and spending time with you. Even if I don't think that you worship a real God, even if you don't think I worship a real God, and we have to be able to hold the line on, I don't think you do. And I don't think the doctrines that you support are the same in value or in application as the ones that I do. And people are too afraid to say something even like that. Oh, 100%. And yeah. here's the thing. None of that matters. It doesn't matter to me if you believe what I believe. And it shouldn't matter to you outside of maybe you're doing missionary work. Right. Or do I want my kids to marry your kids? And do we go yeah. in faith households or stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Things like that. But ultimately, Tanner, I think you and I are friends. Yes. Agreed. Right. You would make a great neighbor. I think I even told you I wanted to move to a Mormon community just because I saw how tight knit you guys were. <laughs> yep. They're like, don't worry. I'm not going to, you know, go and like embarrass anyone or disrespect <laughs> anyone. I just like the camaraderie and the community spirit. Right. But yeah, 100% agreed. My wife is a Catholic. Okay. Imagine how that appears to the yeah, outsider. I'm, I'm sure that's really fun. <laughs> to the outsider, they're going, what how (laughs) there's basic universal values right don't be a jerk don't disrespect someone's faith don't beat up your spouse you know very simple things um you know be a good person have honor have integrity those Mm -hmm. things are universal across all of the faiths I, I i've even said before any faith out there if you sum it all down it comes down to four words which is don't be a jerk yeah to a very large extent but again to even that can get extent. bastardized and perverted into if you don't completely 
cater to what my definition of truth and reality is, then you're actually a hypocrite with your own, within your own religion because I'm classifying you as a jerk. Therefore, you are de facto a jerk and you're not actually an adherent to your own religion because you don't completely cater to my beliefs. And, that would, and there we have intersectionality faith. There we go. Yep. That's, and that's, that's ultimately where we've come to. And that's ultimately what the perversion of all of these different faiths is. And that's where you get this subjective morality, because the only thing that they can say is the only objective morality is that there is no such thing as objective morality. And if you dare to blaspheme and say that there is, then you're being a jerk and therefore you're not adhering to the doctrines of your own. It's this circular reasoning type thing. It really is. And it, it comes down to where you see arguments from people that are outside of your faith. Yeah. Made to you about your faith. Well, well, Tanner, that's not very Mormon of you. Are you a Mormon? No, oh, no, no, no. I'm an atheist. Well, that's that, that's where we've come, right? I had one of those just the other day on Twitter. I had a guy who used to be a member of our church, and you know, and I see this all the time where I will I will say a truth bluntly, and I will stick to my guns on it, and they'll say, "Well, that's not very Christ-like," and I'll say, "You left the covenant, man. Your opinions are relevant at this point because it is." You don't, you don't get to have a say in what this means because one, you not only left it, but two, you hate it. You, you're doing everything you can to pervert and to twist it. And so the idea that we get to let other people who do not adhere to what our beliefs are structure or hold us accountable to what our own, what loyalty to our beliefs are, what our faith is, is, is ludicrous. It's insane. Yeah. I can be completely loyal to someone who is you know, like you. You don't, you and I don't share the same faith, but we do share the same basic values on being a good man, being a good father, being a good husband, uh, helping our communities and our loved ones. We may go about it in different ways, but ultimately, again, it doesn't matter if we're texting or sending a Morse code telegraph. The basic idea is the same. For me, I've seen recently there's this idea of like that gentleman that you had a conversation with, this argument will not work on me, but because it will on you, I will use it and you should be deeply affected by it. And if you're not, you are somehow a hypocrite. Yes. Yep. And that, that's too many what, of us keep what, falling for it. A lot of people really fall for it. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with nobody wants to make waves. No one wants to rock the boat right. or be branded some ism or phobe or whatever right you know and for that and everything has come down to, to the to the point of labels now where it doesn't matter what you do you're labeled as something but after a while you would think people you know like you and i we get immune to it I, i've been called a racist a misogynist a transphobe a whatever this morning i've been called all those things already this morning yeah I'm like, what time is it there? 11. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's 11. There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it happens on, it happens so consistently and so regularly, as soon as you have the courage to actually stand up for what your convictions are. And none of it even has any bearing on anything. The amount of times that I get called these things on topics that have nothing to do with any of them. You know, I could say stuff like, um, you know, my son and I were out lifting and he was deadlifting with me this morning. Well, that's racist. Okay. <laughs> I don't care. 
because that doesn't mean anything anymore. The ability that you can apply that to such a weird specific scenario and that you've actually been able to connect those dots in some way that that actually is. I don't care. You're crazy. And your opinion on this has no bearing on me whatsoever anymore. Yeah. And that, uh, to use uh, the current vernacular, that's a very based standpoint, point of frame, right? Yeah. I don't care what you think of me because I hold you in such little regard that I wouldn't even accept your praise, much less your criticism. We're, we've reached this point now, and there is a subculture within the Mormon community that is stirred a lot of pots. <laughs> It has pissed off a lot of people (laughs) and me as an outsider looking in, I still don't know what it is. So I'm going to ask you to explain it, but I'm really enjoying the spectacle of melting heads around this subculture, mini community that honestly, I want to have a drink with all of you. guys. (laughs) I don't care if it's sweet tea. I just want to go. And have we a- don't drink that either. We'll have a soda and you can have whatever you want. <laughs> I'll drink water with you guys. Let's do this. I just want to hang out and just, this will be great. Yeah. That is the, am I, tell me if I'm saying this right. The Desnat. Yes. Yep. Okay. Explain that to me. Cause I've only recently heard it within the last few months. Okay. I'm literally going to learn right now. Like I told you before we're going, don't yes. tell me now. I want to find out live. Right. Tell me now what that is. Okay. So. Um, I'll give you kind of the technical on it and then give you some of the background on it as well. So Desnat is short for Deseret Nation. And for you guys who are unaware, the territory that we had settled and that we were a part of before we became the state of Utah, and it was actually much bigger. Los Angeles was part of this territory, a lot of New Mexico and Arizona. Basically, it was called Deseret, which is a term that comes from our scriptures. It has to do with industry. And now this idea of a Deseret Nation is really a way to signal to yourself and other people that our loyalty is to the doctrines and the principles that are taught by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're loyal to the prophet, to the 12 apostles. We're loyal to Christ. And that is our main rubric of loyalty, and everything else needs to be checked against that. Whereas for the rest of the world, and unfortunately we're starting to see this amongst Latter-day Saints as well, you get people who are more loyal to the idea of what's politically expedient or what's socially going to get me a higher status or what is going to grant me the least amount of conflict in my life. And then I'm going to adjust the doctrines or the principles or the things that I believe in to try and fit that square peg into that round hole. So it's basically just taking the opposite of a progressive or a fundamentalist approach and saying, we're loyal to the doctrines as they're stated, as they continue to be revealed. That's it. Does that make sense? It does. Um, hey. That's what I wrote my book about. That's right. what I wrote Empire Divided about. Right. Uh, you owe zero loyalty to a confederacy of tribes that is the United States, that is the world, uh, if uh, Globocorp gets its way, where everyone is all one united people, like some kind of perverse Iroquois, uh, where doesn't matter who's all different. We're, we're all, you know, going to come kneel, bow and spend our digital dollars on the altar of hedonism. Right. Yes. Yes. That's what they want. Right. And people get mad at me all the time to say this. I'm not loyal to America. Mm -hmm. I served in the army. I'm still not loyal to America. Was that a hard transition to get to that point? No. Um, Okay. 
any contract signed in bad faith is null and void. Okay. The way I see it. Yeah. I'm loyal to certain people that happen to reside in America. Right. And these are the people of my tribe. Very right. much like the Deseret Nation is a tribe. Yeah. Well, and for us, it's not. And this is where we get a lot of grief from a lot of people because they see it as an actual, like, this is a secessionist movement or this is a political thing. And one thing that's that's needs to be clarified, especially for the perspective of other people who aren't aware of it, is we genuinely believe that the Constitution was a God-given document. And we are consistently told, in fact, we just heard this from one of our one of our top leaders just within the last month about how crucial that document is. And so I am just as loyal to the Constitution as I am to the tenets of my own faith because I believe that they are part and parcel with that. And that was a God-given thing. But no, that doesn't mean that my loyalty is to Deborah who works at the DMV and is pissed off about some little minor infraction on a bureaucratic red tape type of thing. Those are two very different things. Absolutely. For me, I'm not anti-American. No. I mean, I live here. Right. I would rather much, I, I will more afford my loyalty to the people that share my values that I could call at 2 a.m., you know, and say, hey, I need to hide this body. I don't. <laughs> yeah. But, you, know, you know, those kind of people, the people right. that I care about, the people that Even share Even if it's not that drastic, it's, oh, my basement's flooding. I need help with that. Yeah. Those people, the people who I would go out of my way to help because we align on the basic philosophy of our lives. Mm -hmm. We are here. We have a mission. We have a purpose. I believe personally that those things are to become as whatever God you believe in like as possible and embody those exemplary paradigms and values in whatever method that may be according to your faith, because they all will universally align as being a paradigm, an exemplar, a role model, right? It's an ideal of excellence that everyone should try to aspire to. Yeah. Your God should be aspirational. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Those people that will do that and not subscribe to this nihilistic and hedonistic cycle where nothing means nothing except what feels good. Right. Which is basically crowning ourselves gods. And we're pathetic gods. Yeah. Yeah, we really are. I will give those people my loyalty rather than subscribe and afford my loyalty to an empire that hates people like me just because we happen to share the same geographical location. Yes. I don't care if we live on the same street. If you're a bad neighbor, I'm not going to your cocktail party. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You're not coming to mine. Yeah, because that's not that shouldn't be the only barometer of tribal unity is how how close what's our proximity from a geographic standpoint. Exactly. Just like when you said um, you check everything by your tenets and your proclamations. Mm-hmm. Everything has to brush up against it. Does it comply? Does it does it align? Yes, yes. Okay, it's good. It can come in. Your philosophy of life should be very much the same way with people. Do these people align with my values, my belief systems? Doesn't have to be super specific, but in general, belief system. Right. My my the the values that I place on virtue and honor and strength and integrity, all of these things, do they align? Yes, they do. Cool. Then they may not be a part of the tribe yet. They could be, 
but at least I know they're not hostiles over there. Right. Well, and I think that that's where one of the things that's so fascinating about the world that we're experiencing, because it used to be that these tribal lines were broken up as far as are you left versus right or Republican versus Democrat or even, you know, uh, like fascist versus uh, constitutionalist or anything and or obviously based on different religious lines and what i'm finding now because i do find that men like you or men like jack who really in so many different ways were very ideologically different but really for me what it feels like the biggest breakdown that we're experiencing now is nihilism versus nobility do you believe in the capacity to become something noble and something great or do you believe in wallowing in your nihilism and in your filth? And if you believe even in just this little bit of this, or even if you're open to this, if you're on the fence and maybe you have some nihilistic tendencies, but you also have some aspirational and some noble tendencies, then we can be a fellow traveler. But if you, if you start to be more on the side of nobility, then yes, we will disagree about God. We will disagree about parenting. We will disagree about other things, but at least I'm disagreeing with a fellow tribesman as opposed to somebody who completely wants to destroy everything that I stand for and I believe in. Exactly. I couldn't have said that better myself, actually. I'm going to take credit for it anyway. <laughs> well done, Jeff. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I did it great. But no, and it, idealism itself is something that has been just murdered at this point right because idealism isn't fair right no, some, it's inherently some, not somebody somewhere is not going to be able to live up to this ideal and it's to its fullest right you know i mean you hercules right he's the exemplar of strength I'm never going to beat a lion with my bare hands no. as cool as the, unless I have to. Yeah. But I don't see that as like, if someone says, Hey, Jeff, go defeat that lion for me and I'll hold you in higher esteem. <laughs> I don't really need your esteem that much, pal. Right. We're good. But there's, you know, there's this legendary feats of strength or whatever that we hear from the old, you know, the, the, the Roman pantheon and Greek pantheon stories. Those, those guys were ideals, you know, Zeus and, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, they are all ideals and they, and they represent certain virtues that for guys that are just regular dudes can never really achieve. Mm -hmm. Well, one, because we're not built like them. We're not built in the same time. We're never going to have the same opportunities, but it doesn't mean we can't try no, or that we shouldn't be looking to them as how can I get as close to that level of aspiration as possible? And the sad thing is, is not only do we not have the idea that we build and create these ideals, or we look at the people who can exemplify them so well, but it's moved so far in the opposite direction. Okay, yesterday was a perfect example. Yesterday's Mother's Day. I don't know how this was for you, but sadly, I got more messaging as far as what I was exposed to from people other than friends and immediate family about how we need to be careful because today's a really hard day for moms that are not in ideal motherhood situations or women who can't have kids or moms or women who just have pets or trans people or anything else. And I heard very little about the actual celebration of the ideal mother and more of the hedging against let's just make sure we don't celebrate the ideal too much because it might hurt somebody's feelings. And we've, we've flipped to where motherhood was normal. Now it's not even an ideal that we can aspire to. We have to move against it because somebody may have their feelings hurt. So we've gone the complete opposite direction of what looking to the ideal actually should be. 
yeah, it's uh, now it's more of a uh, I can never become the best, so I shouldn't even try to be good. And you shouldn't even talk about being good because that makes me feel even worse about not being able to be the best. Therefore, you're talking about good actually makes you a bad person. And the ideal is to not ever talk about the ideal because that's the only thing that ever makes anybody feel good. It's so twisted. Yeah, that's why I was very specific with my language yesterday. Uh, I, I've got, you know, some female followers. But when I, I said Happy Mother's Day, I said Happy Mother's Day to all of the good mothers mm-hmm. out there. Very specific. I, I don't know if anybody really caught on, but uh, not happy, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Some of you bad ones need to step up. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I had one that need that still needs to step up. All right. right. And that's the language we should be getting on Father's Day, too. Mm hmm. Yeah. Happy Father's Day to all the good dads, not happy single mom's day. No, just because you don't have a man in your life. No, no. May uh, the first Sunday in May was yours. All right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We're not going to, you don't get get mine too. Yeah. Yeah. We're not doing that. But, uh, you know, I think when you were mentioned, you know, the language of uh, this person or that person may not be uh, happy with the messaging of happy mother's day. The, the, the most recent term I heard was a bipedal gestator. No. And they're saying that yeah. unironically. Unironically, happy oh. bipedal gestator day. Talk about just absolutely dehumanizing. That's exactly what it's become. It's humiliating language. It is designed to humiliate us to the point where we, we can't even, because and people don't realize how powerful language is. Because if we remove all aspirational language and we make it clinical and completely just devoid of any, you, it becomes impossible to start looking towards nobility or idealism or aspiration because there is nothing aspirational. There is nothing that is emotionally or spiritually baked into the term bipedal birthing person, but there's so much that is cooked into the term mother or father. And that's what they have to get rid of because you cannot kill nobility by keeping it in the language. And so they have to pervert it by using terms like that. Oh, that's disgusting. Absolutely. I say all the time, you know, language is essentially magic. It is. It shapes reality. It's the power. I can can write down a, a, a phrase that you will, that will cause you to develop a picture and go on a journey in your mind. What is that? If not magic. Yeah. That is an, that, that is an incantation. Yeah. By its very definition. Yeah. By changing our language, by attacking words that we can and cannot use without being labeled as some whatever. We are casting new spells as it were. Mm-hmm. And none of them are leading anywhere. No, All they're dark the spells, black magic spells. They're dark black magic spells that tell you you will always be nothing. You will never be able to become anything more. But that is the point of life, in my opinion. I should be on this journey to become more of what I am in every single way. Yeah. And while I may never, you know, because I train, you know, powerlifting. Mm-hmm. I may never be the world's greatest powerlifter. That's not the, that's not the point. But the point of Sisyphus pushing the rock wasn't to get it to the top either. Right. It was just to push the rock. Right. Yeah, it was a punishment, but you can take away some of the, you can take that little part away and realize the whole purpose of it. Just keep pushing the rock. Right. 
and become better every time you do it. And you need the heroes to look up to that show you that as good as you are and as much progress as you're making, there's still more that can be done. And it's not a comparison designed to humiliate you or to shame you. It's one designed to light the fire under you even further and make you go, I can actually put a little bit more into this. I can become a better father. I can do better in my career. I can take care of my body better. I can be a better husband. I can be a better child of God. And you need heroes like Jack says, you need skies with eagles. You need something that causes you to look up as opposed to always looking down at your own feet and then having to worship yourself in order to be able to get some sense of uh, scratching that, that itch that we all have uh, built into us when we're born. Absolutely. Uh, in, in my book, Empire Divided, I quoted something and I'm very proud of this quote. The stories of our heroes have been replaced with television shows of real housewives living their 600 pound lives. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, how, oh, how pathetic, how we, pathetic. And people get, you know, they're very adamant now. You see it now with they're, they're toppling statues mm-hmm. of this person who he was the most courageous person on that battlefield that day. But because he was a human and because he had a fault, you know, or he had a wrong opinion, we must tear down every single thing about him and never review, revere anything about him whatsoever. Right. I think it is important that to an extent we deify our heroes. Our heroes should be more than human. Yeah, we need the myth and the legend. We, and we need the, the myth and the uh, legend to make, to inspire us. I'm not going to get inspired by a guy who goes, well, I got sick today, but I got up and I went to my job bagging groceries. That's not inspiring. That's not strong. No. That, that's, that's not heroic. Just like these people in masks, bagging groceries should not be labeled as heroes. No. You're not a hero. You're a grocery bagger. I was a grocery bagger. I've right. done it. There's nothing heroic about it. Frontline worker. Yeah. Unless you throw a can of beans in a bag and you beat down the store robber, you're not a hero. Yeah. Right. But the things of legend, the myth, the far-fetched things that there's like, there's no way. There's no way that happened. But it's still within that realm of possibility. Exactly. It inspires you to be more. That's why we watch war movies. That's why we watch action movies. I mean, there's no way that there's a dude out there that can full on John McClane take down an entire building of terrorists of of like he not. did. Not. But there was nothing in that movie so far fetched, except for maybe the fire uh, hose off the building <laughs> right. that isn't completely, at least in the realm of possibility. Yeah, and you so, don't have to totally suspend your disbelief to get there. Exactly. And it is a very semi deification of the hero. And that is what we need. We don't need to look at, you know, the 600 pound woman and her husband on TV who are being lauded as brave because all they did is subscribe to, uh, Hey, I'm going to let people mock me for $250,000 an episode. Right. It's not brave. No. All right. Brave is a really pathetic version of prostitution. Yes, it really is. Uh, they're, they're just video whores. Yeah who get paid to be mocked. There's nothing heroic or brave about that. There's nothing courageous about that. What is courageous is the guy who doesn't say a thing. He's 600 pounds. He might've let himself get there, but he makes that decision. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I might not ever look like the front cover of Men's Health magazine, but I'm going to do better. Yes. And that's nobility. Does, that's nobility. That's her. Right. That's heroism. Right. And what sucks is that we think we're in this kind of this this safe space of it now, where we still get our superhero movies and we still get our action movies and and all of that. But at the same time, we're exposed to so much more of these cultural things that are this other way of the six hundred pound life or the real the real housewives. And I, I guarantee you, within 10, 15 years, if not sooner, we won't have the luxury of having any aspirational figures. And the only media that we will have exposure to is this voyeuristic, masturbatory, self-debasing, self-approving type of of media that we're seeing with all this other stuff. Because if we don't defend the perimeter on that, as far as, no, I need stories of nobility. I want my kids to have stories of nobility. I want aspiration. I want things that are larger than life that can make me, my wife put this the best I've ever heard. She said that good stories, compelling stories used to be about average people doing extraordinary things. And now all of our stories are about sub-average people being able to finally just get along on very average things. And it's such a sad state of affairs that those are the stories that people resonate with. Those are the books that women read in book clubs. Those are the stories that, that all the teenage boys get excited about, where it's just about the angsty loser who finally can get over his fear and ask a girl to a dance or so. And those, those are not aspirational. Those should be normal things. Aspiration should take us beyond the mediocre and into something so much bigger and better than that. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I have children, obviously my wife's one, my wife is a Catholic. I'm a pagan. My wife will read them Bible stories. Mm-hmm. My wife will tell them Bible stories. I will tell them stories about thor and odin because i don't care if they believe in it or not however when you hear about a mighty god beating up a giant world serpent just because he wanted to prove his strength because he was bored i can translate that allegory or myth or story into a lesson of go do hard things yes go get stronger just so you can prove your strength and have the strength to fight off something bigger than yourself should the time ever come yeah no there's a reason that the time in the west when things were at their most aspirational weeks when we celebrated nobility the best was when it was a combination of roman and christian ideals and stories and every because there you need all of it i we have very intentionally i have one son and we homeschool and as much as we love the curriculum it's a little nice and a little girl centric which is appropriate for all of our girls but we've made it a point that he, we go through the Greek myths and the Norse myths, and we talk about these stories of these gods and their heroism and make them aspirational in that way because we need that type of stuff. You need to be able to learn lessons from David and from Christ, and you also need to be able to learn lessons from Dionysus and from Apollo and from Thor and from Frey. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned the superhero movies. If you notice... Every single superhero has their one thing, right? Their shtick. Captain America, for example, he's he just represents the the complete truth uh-huh. all the time. That's his that's his virtue, right? Is his integrity, right? Yeah, it's 
it's complemented and supported by his strength and his right battle. but the main thing is the integrity deadpool the is the postmodernism, and and yeah they, everybody has their their stick to him yeah isn't it funny and i was going to bring up deadpool isn't <laughs> it funny how these superheroes that are essentially gods in their own right you know, just like the old gods, each of them represent a certain virtue or a certain aspect of the world or the universe. The one that's the most popular is the cynical, snark-mouthed postmodernist out of all of them. Sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I loved Captain America when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, there, I can't remember who did it, but there was that one comic artist who had the whole, you know, Captain America speech when the entire world is pushing against you, you plant your feet firm in the river of truth and say, no, you move. However yeah, that goes powerful. How are you not going to be inspired by something like that? Except now they've, they've portrayed Captain America, Captain America as this faulty, I'm not sure of myself kind of guy. Right. While the cockiest and the most brazen is the dude who is just depravity with legs. Right. And we get to have jokes about chimichangas and that's the, we giggle and teeter about it. And that's, that's our aspiration now. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's nihilism and postmodernism and, and cynicism. And that's, that's what we aspire to be. And it's, it's so pathetic. Yeah. It's uh, the no F's given. Yeah. Right. The, they think that's somehow virtuous. I care about nothing. Which again is just an, another perversion of something that started off as a solid principle and then got totally bastardized because you should be, I mean, that's exactly, you can make the argument that that's what Captain America was saying is that I don't care about the repercussions. I don't care who tries to come at me. I don't care what happens. Truth is truth. And I'm going to stand in front of the whole world and say, no, you move, which is quite literally that attitude but then it turns into, no, we don't actually care about anything. And rather than rather than holding on to the integrity aspect of it, it, it got perverted into this indifference or this aloofness or this cynicism aspect of it. And so we took we took this great virtue of morality at any cost and then turned it into the cost of anything isn't worth anything. And so we're just not going to make sacrifices on on anything. Exactly. You know, and your convictions don't mean anything unless they cost you something. They, they can't, they cannot mean anything unless it's they cost a, you something. Uh, what is it? It's a conviction of convenience. Right. Right. And that's, well, that's well, an oxymoron. Yes, absolute, if you're standing in front of an angry mob uh, and they're going to kill you, if you say otherwise, and you go, well, yeah, I do. A hundred percent agree that math is racist. <laughs> No, that's yeah. Yeah. Well, even if you don't, but you can sit there and 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 tout that you do all day long, and it's just a conviction of convenience because right. hey, it it keeps the boat from rocking, it keeps me from being confronted, it keeps me you know safe, and everybody just leave me alone, even though I just sold a little piece of my self respect. And people don't realize that that's what it is because they think, well, yeah, I have to do this stuff because if I don't, then I may get canceled and then I can't provide for my family or I won't be able to get a good job or I won't be able to do all of these other things. And yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe you have to deal with some of the consequences of these things costing you something, 
But then you're not a liar or a coward. Then you're not dealing with the fact that you have allowed the the dark magic of this evil language to cast spells on you. I love that metaphor, by the way. I'm riffing off that for the rest of forever. That's great. <laughs> but really, like it, you, your your integrity is only worth something if it costs you something. And if you are not in a position where it has cost you anything yet, then you don't really have any integrity yet. Yeah. I mean, you could really believe that, but until you get to a point where somebody is disagreeing with you and you're going to go, no, this, that's, that's not how I think. And I'm not going to think that way. Right. And that costs you something, whether it be a friendship, a job opportunity, uh, or what, even just the few negative feelings that come for 15 minutes after somebody's calling you a bad name on Twitter. Most people can't even handle that. that. You're you're really not that big of a deal that you're going to get canceled over this or that you're going to lose family or friends over this. The only thing that you're probably going to deal with is somebody on Twitter just thinks you're a jerk, but most, most people can't even handle that level of pressure. Yeah. And because of that type of mentality, it's hard to find people who will draw like the hard line. But again, that's why I'm really happy watching the Desnat community. I've actually followed hashtag Desnat because I want to see everything that happens. <laughs> because it's, it's kind of like uh, back when you're a kid and uh, what was it? WCW came on. <laughs> yes. Oh man. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> it's been, it's been so good because it really did. I, you know, I remember when I first started talking about my beliefs on Twitter for some reason, Twitter had turned into this space where the only people that were Latter-day Saints that were talking about the church or the doctrines, it was people who were undermining it or that were having this like nuanced critical eye on it. That was really just a subtle way of being able to, you know, to undermine it. And then a couple of us found each other that were really unapologetic about it and started connecting with each other. And then all of a sudden you start getting really heavy pushback on that. I mean, you think about all the stuff that I've been associated with as far as like Manosphere and Red Pill and all of the things that for a decade that I've been writing about and that I've been involved with. And the only time that I've ever gotten any sort of mainstream media attention or hate is because I refuse to back down on my, my religious beliefs is kind of insane. But that's really where this pressure is coming in from. And it's so fun to be surrounded by people who get to hold the line with you and you know that they're making the necessary sacrifices. And not only are they making those sacrifices, but they're seeing the blessings and the benefits from having done. So you see them get galvanized in their faith and in their conviction. And you see the, the community and the camaraderie and everything that comes up from that. And that goes back to what you're talking about as far as that's why Utah was what it was. And that's why it's so important that we defend it because if we don't like, we're just riding on the inertia of that. And if we don't hold that perimeter in that same kind of way, give us another 10 years. And not only are we going to be as bad as other places, but we're going to be worse because we will have overcorrected and gone into something that was even more so than, than what we're trying to fight off right now. It's so critical to hold the line on those things. It really is. And I think that the overcorrection part is a big risk that not enough people pay attention to. Mm-hmm. They th- and they, it, there's a point where it needs to be yeah, you need to overcorrect just a little bit to show you're serious. But then you come right back to holding that baseline. You don't stay way over here. No. Sometimes you need to, you know, put out a fire with a hand grenade, you know, uh, the concussive blast. Just right, suck it. all the air out of the room, but that's yeah. not always the best tool for the job. 
it's sometimes necessary, but it shouldn't be the only thing. And yes. a lot of people get stuck on that because it, it makes everyone else reactionary. Right. You know, it's the, uh, the shock factor. Uh-huh. You said that. Yeah. There, there are ways that you can say something that you believe if you word it and phrase it correctly, even I would be like, <laughs> you yeah. know, Whoa, yeah. he's asking for trouble. Right. And sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes you have to do that to get your point across and say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to back down. This is what I believe, like it or leave it. Right. But there's also, nope, I'm just going to keep believing this. And you don't have to. That's that's cool. I'm just not going to consider us within the same boundary lines over here. You're going to stay. You're going to be over there. One of my responses is just, okay. Okay. My new favorite thing is is replying with a question mark and then muting them for like an hour. (laughs) And then when they get done with their entire tirade, I go back and I block them. Just yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you got it all out. I hope you got that. I I, I asked the question to make you go ahead and waste three hours writing a story that I'm not reading. I'm just going to block you. (laughs) Yeah, it's always fun. But yeah, because you're right. It doesn't always have to be a well, let's get into this real like flame war and let's go hot and heavy on it. And I think sadly, a lot of people they do, they overcorrect because when they go from avoid conflict, avoid conflict, avoid conflict, avoid conflict. Oh, I can't avoid conflict anymore. Then the only thing that they do is they pull out the rocket launcher and start going ham with that. As opposed to when you get enough experience with it, then you start to realize, okay, no, this guy's actually being sincere. No, this guy's just a troll, or this is inappropriate based on what these people are doing, or this is what's inappropriate here. And you have to get enough reps under your belt to be able to be adept at handling conflict. So it doesn't turn into contention. It doesn't, it doesn't turn into, you know, just another perversion of another good or true principle, but too many of us are afraid of even getting in the arena and learning what it, what it looks like to, to practice that. Right. And how has the, uh, from where you sit, how has the Mormon church and community uh, been dealing with that with uh, as the, uh, the more progressive members of the community or progressive, well, progressive leaning, Mm-hmm. Or maybe progressive curious, if that's a phrase, we'll call it a phrase, yeah. are, are starting to come in and ask questions. How have how have you seen from where you are uh, the reaction to that being saying, no, 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 we're this is the line here, but let's talk about it and I'll explain why, or is it just a no? No, do you get a few a few people that are like that? But the the example that we're always looking to are uh, are the brethren. So the way that our leadership is set up is you've got a a prophet who's the president of the church with two counselors and then a quorum of twelve apostles, and we quite literally see them the same way that you would see a biblical prophet or the the twelve apostles that Christ called their prophet seers and revelators. They have those same keys and authority and all of that, and so we basically see them as you know God gives them revelation. And so we look to them as examples of as far as how to handle this type of stuff. And that's one of the things that I love is they do a very good job of laying out truth as truth and not not backing down from it, not apologizing on it, but certainly not getting really into the weeds or really engaging with a lot of people in very what emotional ways or engaging. Uh, yeah, engaging in ways that are designed to agitate or to troll or to do other stuff. But I mean, we get pressure all the time, especially with things like what we, what we adhere to as far as marriages ordained between man and woman, there, there is no, 
deific way to be able to condone gay marriage. There, there's not, there's, there's no such thing. There's no way to do it. We get tons of crap from that. We're getting so much crap for towing the line when it comes to gender is an eternal nature of who we are. We were our gender before we were born. We're that gender now. That gender is part of our eternal identity. And a lot of that ties in really deeply with what our doctrine is. And we're getting a ton of blowback for that. And I love that the brethren, that's you know, kind of in a way that we refer to them, but the leaders of our church, they will they will basically just keep keep promoting that. They will just keep saying that this is what it is. And we're dealing with all of this fallout and all these negative repercussions, but they keep they keep holding to it. Now we do see an attempt to soften on other things where it's um, you know, we need to be able to be more inclusive as far as the way that we make other people feel and that we're focusing on loving people. And I, I agree that all of that is true. And I think one of the things that's kind of a crossroads that we're going to experience as a people is that we feel like, and I, this makes sense as far as the differences between your beliefs and our beliefs, your beliefs are relatively set and, and standardized. And my beliefs are the same way. And so we can come to some level of this is what the playing ground looks like. And these are the compromises that don't actually compromise on the principles, but they're ways for us to be able to align and get along. And the problem with this postmodern nihilism, progressivism is there is nothing that is set. Things that are acceptable today are going to be outright heresy tomorrow. And the more that we continue to give in on, well, we just want, we want to find common ground. We want to be able to make sure that people feel welcome. We want to make sure that we're not going out of our way to hurt people's feelings. And if we soften the message to the point where people lose their adherence to what the message is, then that's where we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble. And so my, my supposition on this is in the next five years, we're probably actually going to see a lot more of a hard veer towards we're defending the doctrine. And this is truth because we're going to see the fruitlessness of trying to find common ground with people that don't even have common ground with who they were two years ago. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to figure out a direction to drive the ball when the goalpost is moving and even the end zone is moving. Yes. Or the fact that it's on, you know, it's gone up two stories and now it's shaped like a, you know, like a lacrosse goal and then it's a basketball hoop. And I mean, it's so sporadic in every way that you can't, you're playing Calvin ball. You cannot adjust to the rules because the only rules are the person who's the most victimized and the loudest gets to make the rules, whatever they want. So they're the one who's always winning. Yeah, exactly. And a part of that is kind of indicative of the whole moral relativity, I guess we could call it moral, yeah. moral relativism, right? Well, I didn't like that yesterday and it was bad, but I accidentally tried it today and now it's, it's okay. So we can, we can change this and we can change that. But then two seconds later, there's a different person over here. No, 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 no. That's still bad. Now these two people who were allegedly on the same side are eating right. each other. Your intersectionality gave out real quick. Yeah. It gave out real quick. And now these people are eating each other and you're supposed to somehow bend the knee and conform and twist and contort your body and your beliefs to appease all of them. Equally. And you can't do that. The only way to do that is to completely disregard all belief. Right. You can't have your beliefs align with everyone's idea of what they think morality and truth and virtue are. And there's no quicker way to hate yourself. There's no quicker path to real evil than to be so morally flexible that you can mirror anybody at any time. Yeah. 
it is impossible to get to a point where you feel good in any way about yourself if you've sold every ounce of self-respect for a little bit of comfort, a little mm-hmm. bit of peace, maybe a little bit of money. Yeah. You know, it's Yeah, there's a reason there's the 30 pieces of silver trope. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. But you know, we... It's not all an entire, a total loss. I've noticed that there seems to be, uh, at least from this side, um, I've seen some of the, in the Mormon community, that BYU has started to maybe adopt some leaders in there who are going, nah, y'all can think this, but it doesn't mean you're right. And because they don't drop down and go, well, yes, you have a point and your truth is your, you know, what, whatever they, they're not doing that. And so right. it's starting to shift a little bit when before, you know, just based on what I saw you sharing and what I saw myself in the media and just on social forums or whatever, right. It would look like it was going another way. Yeah. Really fast. Yeah. And it's scary to be in the middle of that and go, no, this is, this is what we fought against as a people forever. And this is, we can't do this. And it's not because there's a fear that and again, so much of this is rooted in the in the theological belief that God is at the helm, that Christ is leading his church. And I'm not worried about it from that perspective, but I am worried about it as far as how many people are we going to lose along the way? And how much harder is the correction going to be if it has to come further down the road? And so to get to see things like this happen, where BYU does still hold the line, thankfully, on quite a few things. And, you know, there's... It's, it's really encouraging to hear that this is still that this is still the case and it's not just a matter of my kids are going to be complete outliers even within their own community because everybody else has caved. Yeah, that's what it feels like sometimes, right? You're walking yeah. around and you look at other people and you go, shame. <laughs> I used to think that guy had his stuff together and mm-hmm. I, I used to think that, you know, he had a set. Yeah. But at the least you know, the smallest modicum of pressure he folded. Right. And now he's completely sold himself out in exchange for the 30 pieces of silver, which in his case equate to, we're going to welcome you into this leadership position, or we are going to uh, not burn your house down. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what it's, it's come down to. Yeah. Uh, we, we need more strong people. I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care if you're a Mormon or what Christian, um, which denomination of Christianity you are. I don't care right. if you're, you're, if you're Jewish, Hindu, whatever, whatever your tenets are, whatever, whatever your core tenets of your belief are. I want you to piss off as many people as possible by never bending from them. Yes. And do it in the name of nobility. Yeah. Don't go out and flaunt it in their face and push them down and say, this is it to piss them off, but just be that immovable object. Mm -hmm. That's what we need more of. And yep. It comes down to balls, man. It really does. And that that's ultimately like, that's how you defend the perimeter and you do it on the little things. You do it by refusing to use the language that you're supposed to use. You do it by refusing to let your kids watch the shows that all their friends are watching because they may not be part of the conversation the same way that they are. You do it by, refusing to adopt the what the dad bod and the 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 standard american diet there's so many ways to be able to defend your perimeter within these little things and they're synergistic and so no i probably won't you probably won't ever have to actually physically defend the perimeter from mobs hopefully we don't 
But we also can't allow that to lull us into a sense of complacency into thinking that the perimeter isn't being encroached upon and that the war of good versus evil isn't still being fought. It's just being fought much more subtly and we need to be all the more vigilant in our defenses against it. Yeah, and the perimeter isn't just an external thing. No. Very much so. The perimeter is on the hearts and minds of men. And without guarding Can you imagine how easy it would be if it were only a physical perimeter holy oh cow. yeah good <laughs> i mean we're, we're, we're well armed we can we can do this yeah but protecting yourself and the culture that you create within your own tribe within your own perimeter against external forces that want to come in and corrupt it you have to do the one thing that is might as well be the cardinal sin of of progressive uh, progressivism and that's be exclusionary yeah be just dis- and be discriminatory yep people ask me all the time if i discriminate you bet i do yeah i discriminate not- against a whole lot of people right. i discriminate people based on their merit and their character and their nobility and their honor and their integrity if you're not up to par you're not coming in my yard much less my life yeah and ironically none of those things have anything to do with any particular race or particular sex or particular uh, creed or anything else. And so that's the irony again, is that we threw the baby out with the bathwater and you get accused of being all of those things simply by being discriminatory. And yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm discriminatory. I discriminate based on the things that matter, not on the superfluous things that don't. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, that's such a bad, well, you have to accept everyone. No, actually, I don't. I don't. No, I can love it. I, do. I don't have to accept or respect everyone. No. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, uh, just because I don't like you and don't tolerate you doesn't mean I hate you. No. I, I, I can look down upon you with pity and low esteem in the same way that I look at that stray dog over there that keeps getting into the neighbor's trash and even into my trash. I don't hate that dog. No. He's a minor nuisance. He's a minor inconvenience. And even if he doesn't get into my trash, I don't hate that dog. Right. But I'm not going to go and feed that dog. Right. Some people are just not your people. Right. And it's okay. Not everybody has to be your people. A lot of people won't re- regard me as their people. And that's good. There's some people I don't want to be accepted by because that would mean I was a terrible person that yes. made to fit their standard of being accepted. Yes. And people need to be, you know, that's, people need to realize that's another that thing too. that I've, I've noticed. You go yeah. ahead. I was just, oh, I was just, what's the whole people... joke? Um, I will. No, no, I was just saying there's an old joke. I, I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's that, but you see that now with, with people on the, the, extreme woke progressive side right they will fight tooth and nail so that they can get accepted by a court order even by some group of people that hate them yeah yeah they really don't accept them they just have to go through the motions of doing it right yeah but they don't they don't accept them they're just begrudgingly not eating them it's it's not it's not about acceptance it's about domination exactly but i can't bring myself to the point where i would want to force my way into a a position where people that did not like me people that did not like my beliefs people that completely hated me were forced to accept me 
Well, yeah, it's because you're you have enough I'm nobility to know they're going to respect just... to be able to be comfortable with the fact that not everybody's going to like you. You're not so desperate for approval that the idea that somebody may in some way demonstrate a little bit of disinclination towards you and your lifestyle threatens your entire worldview and your self perception. It does, but imagine being. And I, I put this example in uh, in something I was writing. I said, imagine being a Jewish person who sued a neo-Nazi group so that he could join. <laughs> that is the equivalent of that's, that's where we are. Yeah. That's where we are. Oh man! And th- th- then you get in there and you rub their nose in it. I made you, and because it it's that dominance your, play. Yes, it is. And a lot of people don't like it when I phrase it this way, but this is my show. It is essentially a philosophical rape. Yeah. Yeah. Because rape is never real. Rape has never been about sex. It has been about power and it mm-hmm. has been about control. Right. It's always and humiliation been, and all of that. Yeah. Exactly. It has always been perpetrated and committed by some weak, pathetic worm who never had an iota of power in his life. Right. Found someone that he could force to do his own bidding or force to whatever so he could feel that modicum of power just for a minute. Yep. And that is is what we have with all of these groups. Yeah. They are forcing everyone else to do their bidding and bend and speak their language just because they've never felt powerful at all and so instead of rising up to an ideal standard that they have aspired to Mm -hmm. they aspire to nothing except to drag everyone down destroy the strong so that everybody's weak equally exactly yep because then they don't have the light shine on their darkness exactly yep because now i'm in good company everybody see it's everybody you're not singled out yep and you're not contrasted against these people over here But that's where we are. That's where we are. Yep. And that's why I love what you're doing with the show, because that's why it's so crucial, not only for yourself, but for your family, for the other people that you're around to defend the perimeter. And you have to, and it really boils down to, I don't care what tribe you want to start, what community you want to start, what community or tribe you're already a part of, just because it doesn't align with mine does not mean that you shouldn't double down on continuing to foster and grow the culture, the values and the core beliefs of your tribe and community, your people and defend the perimeter against anybody, including myself that would ever come inside to try to corrupt and twist it into something you don't want it to be. Right. And it's as simple as that, but no one can do that now. Now everybody has to get along Everybody has to accept everyone. And that's what you and I've talked about previously, which was the, uh, the love thy neighbor thing where they conflate love and tolerance. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. It's a deadly conflation. Yeah. I can love you, but I don't have to tolerate you in my house. I don't have to tolerate you in my life or my group or my tribe or my perimeter. I love my kids. And the last thing I would let them do is whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I, you're not going to accept every viewpoint they have just because you love them. No, Some in fact, I won't different. accept them because I love them. Yeah, exactly. If I didn't love them, then I would accept what I would be indifferent. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. Indifference is in my opinion, worse than hate. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with that. that. I mean, that's, you know, that's biblical as well. Don't be lukewarm, either be hot or cold. Yeah, I think as I said, you know, there's no such thing as the middle of the road, you know, not for a man. A man should pick a side and whatever side he picks, there needs to, he needs to be able to accept the consequences. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And there's too many fence sitters. And that's why I think a lot of perimeters out there right now are just made out of a chain link fence trying to hold back a flood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, it's, again, it's really nice to see that the Mormon community, at least the Desnat Mormon community (laughs) is not backing down. And whether you're a Mormon, for those of you watching, whether you're a Mormon, a Christian, a pagan, an atheist, whatever, you have a particular set of values. Be unapologetic about those values. Lean into them. Lean Embrace in the and, weird aspect of it and make that something that's fun and exciting about it. Yeah, absolutely. And if someone says you're a bad person because you have these values, ask yourself, okay. ask yourself, does this person belong to your tribe? If they do, maybe you should reconsider some things. Maybe you should step back and th- talk about what they have to say. Right. But if they earn the right for their opinion to matter to you. Yeah. They're, they have to value, be valuable to you for their opinion to be valuable to mm-hmm. you. You know, it's um, does the whole freedom versus safety. Is my freedom more important than your safety? I don't know you. My lunch is more important than your safety. Okay. <laughs> that's where, that's where you have to be. You have to be completely unapologetic about what you believe, who you are. To a point, I'll say there, there are some extreme things where, Maybe you're just a jerk and you should probably stop. But your basic core beliefs and tenets of life don't ever back down from those from someone who just wants to call you a name or threaten to dox you or whatever because they don't agree with it. They don't have to agree with it. Especially because they're the ones there. If you do, then they're the only party that's unapologetic about their beliefs because you know that they're not backing off of theirs because you might disagree with them. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So Tanner, before we start wrapping up, you have a project right now that's getting ready (laughs) to come to fruition. And I'm super excited about this because not only are you establishing and enforcing a perimeter, but you're creating a whole new camp to put a perimeter around. And I know, you know what I'm talking about. So let's get into that. Tell us <laughs> about chest. Okay. So tell me, tell me first of all, cause I haven't had a chance to, you haven't, you haven't put out the episode yet with Jack yet. Have you? Yeah, it's already out. Oh, it's, it's up. Out. Okay. I was waiting for it to go out. Tell me what Jack told you. Well, the way Jack explained it was it's a men's lifestyle magazine for people who would never get positive media simply because they are not politically correct or the socially accepted type of people, whether it be faith-based or philosophy-based or whatever, because it wouldn't ring all the bells Uh of everyone who's wanting to lay down and and prostrate themselves on the altar of the woke, would never have a piece, anything positive written about them, no matter what they did or how great it was. Yep. 
So basically, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the gist of it. And what it comes down to is this idea that we've talked about so far is the idea of nobility. And one of the things that Jack and I align with the most is the power of nobility and aspiration and the virtue of it and the goodness of it. And we are creating a both uh, online and print version of a magazine that will highlight that. And what we're excited about is the opportunity to not only find, uh, find, but to be able to help curate a culture where we'll be able to help create things like aesthetics, music, arts, style, um, good, uh, be able to do good reviews on uh, books or, uh, you know, different channels that are out there as far as different ideas and new philosophies and, and all of these things where basically we want to highlight masculine nobility and do it in a way that's appealing for people to be able to read it and then be able to feel like these are the modern versions or the modern ways that I can approach these, these gods or these demigods and be able to get a little bit more aspiration in my own life. And so the plan is to make it beautiful. The plan is to make it slick and, and aspirational in the ways that it looks and aspirational as far as the people that we have associated with it from the people that we have writing to the people that we're interviewing and everything that goes in between. I like that. And for me, when I think about it, uh, and when Jack told me about it, the first thing that came to mind was if we were to take guys like John Wayne and Humphrey Bogart, right? Mm -hmm. And we took those two guys and we brought them into 2021. And we said, I want you to just say a bunch of random things that come to mind. We'll write them down and we'll put them in this spread while you're there <laughs> dressed in your very nice suit. Uh-huh. And you look awesome. Yeah. And then pretty much everything on there would be completely contradictory to how everybody in 2021 right. is required, you know, by the forces that be uh, to think. And I think it's great. Absolutely. Because there are a lot of independent creators out there that are only independent, myself included. Mm-hmm. Because no one will touch them because right. they don't want to get called a bad name. Right. And I look fine, protect your bottom line, but there's a lot of people out there that deserve recognition. Yes. And we want to be able to provide a platform so that they can have that. And we want to be able to provide a community where, where people can feel like they're, they're part of something like that. And it's not, it, one of the things that I'm sure you've experienced and that a lot of us have experienced is one of the problems with being too many people are anti-nihilism without being pro-nobility. And we do not want a medium that is reactionary. I don't want to be reacting to feminism or to progressive Mormonism or to I, react. Being a reactionary is boring and you're on the back foot and it's stupid. I don't want to be darkness. I want to be light. Light isn't dependent or reactive to dark. Darkness is reactive to light. And I want to be the agent of action as opposed to the thing that is acted upon. That's what chess is, is designed to do is to be able to be pro-nobility, not anti-nihilism. It is by no means designed to be reactionary because that's it, it's a losing premise to start from that. I really, really like the way you put that. It's pro-nobility, not anti-nihilism. Because you go out there and you can ask anybody, what do you stand for? And they will tell you 300 things that they're against. Uh-huh. What do you stand for? Well, I'm against racism and transphobia and da -da 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 -da. I didn't ask you that. Right. I asked you, what do you stand for? And I've actually titled that as a chapter anti-syndrome 
Yeah. People right now base their entire lives off of what they are against to the point they don't know what they stand for. And they and wouldn't know what to is, do if they won. And it's sad and disheartening. Yep. I mean, how much how much of the manosphere is that way? Where it's, uh, we're just anti-feminism. Okay. So I don't deal with a lot of feminism in my own life. Does that mean that I don't have things that I should be aspiring to from a masculine perspective? Right. Uh, yeah, being anti something, it's so stupid. It's such a, you're not your own, you're not your own uh, point of origin. And it's not, yeah, it's, it, I, I mean, I'm totally being inarticulate, but it is, it's just stupid. <laughs> no, no, I get it. I mean, at, at the point where you're, you're, if you're an anti anything, yeah, you're not even in your own frame of reality. You're living in someone else's world and you're constantly having, well, I have to fight this thing. They Look, get to get set it. the terms. Yeah. Look, I get it. I, I I get it. Everybody needs an enemy. I need an enemy to be fighting against. Right. I you have do. to. Yeah. But why am I fighting against that enemy? I have to what go and fighting for. I have to slay these trolls and dragons. Why? Are you yeah. anti-troll and dragon? No, I'm pro my village and kingdom. Yes, and my children not being eaten when they yeah, wander into the yeah. forest. I'm not anti-troll and dragon. Right. I'm, I, I'm pro-villager. Right, but if I don't have a village or I don't have kids or I don't have any of that, then there's no reason to fight. There's no reason to fight the trolls. And that's the problem is we get so caught up on the troll fighting that we've let the village get totally decrepit and we've stopped having kids and we've stopped having anything that was actually worth defending and we've, we've created an entire identity just around this reactionary approach to killing trolls. Yeah. And that's everything now. We are anti-toxic masculinity. We are anti-feminism. You're both just you're both fighting dumb. monsters. You're both fighting monsters in the dark. Yeah. And you don't have any village to go home to. Yeah. You're not defending a perimeter. You're just in the dark. There's no uh -huh. firelight. There's no there's no flickering ring of fire that you're guarding against. You're just in the dark swinging. Yeah. So you have to have something that you can identify yourself as being for what are you for no one knows that anymore and it's it's ridiculous but yeah. if you ask yourself that right now at first instance you can't really answer because it's a very hard question you have to think about it for a second and nobody wants to do the internal thinking it after a few minutes you can go i know what i'm for mm -hmm. and then you could tell me but off the instant you go i'm for hold on <laughs> and you actually have to think but when you have to think a lot of people are get are to the point now where they know they don't have an answer. Yeah. And so they immediately default to what they're against. Yeah. Well, I'm against this. And they I'm can fight against... and they think it's the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. Or they use some vague nebulous, I'm pro XYZ rights. Okay. Well, what do those rights mean? Well, it just means I'm really anti blah, 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 you know? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is pro this? It means anti that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> You know, I'm pro village or pro my people doesn't mean I'm anti all these other people. I don't, right. I don't care about these other people. Right. I don't even these know they exist. <laughs> no, these people are going to be outside of my field of vision until they get close enough to go, Hey, back off. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. But that's where we are. We, we, we are where people don't even know what they stand for. And I think yep. if we didn't kill all of our heroes and tear down all of the statues 
real and proverbial, because I don't care if you like the Confederate Army soldier statues or Whatever. not. That's you know what? and irrelevant. There's, yeah. yeah, there's nobody out there that has a statue of them that didn't do something that was screwed up by today's moral standard. Right. Okay. I don't care who you are. Like somebody that you idolize right now that is your, you know, paradigm of what you aspire to be, they did something wrong in somebody's eyes. That's yeah. what it but a baby in bathwater again. You don't have to discard all of the good and all of the virtue just because, hey, there's a little bit of human in here. Right. You can right. acknowledge, yeah, there's some human in there. But let's still focus on the positive aspect. That's what I mean by the deification of our heroes. Mm-hmm. We're not saying they never did anything bad, but we're focusing on the good to do that because if we are pro good and pro noble and pro great, we don't have to worry about being anti not great. Yeah. We don't have to worry about being anti bad. Yeah. You don't, they don't, they don't call them the good guys. I mean, they, they don't call them the anti bad guys. Yeah. They're, they're the, the good guys. Yeah. That's a great distinction. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, who are you fighting? The not good guys. The not good guys. <laughs> they are, they are very distinguished <laughs> as the bad guys. Right. Yeah. And I hope that we can see more people and more groups of people doing the same thing that I've seen the Mormon community doing that I've seen the Orthodox Catholic church doing. And it's really easy for me to just only reference these two uh, religious groups. Right. But there are others out there where right. they are in, the quote unquote manosphere or whatever you, some of them don't even have names and labels. No, no, not at all. And they don't need labels and names. Right. But they have values and they have their, their families. Right. And they have their core system of beliefs. They've drawn the hard line, built up their walls and they're not going to let anything or anyone tell them that they have to change just because someone else is upset about it. And we need more people doing that. Absolutely. Even the people that I vehemently disagree with, I, I want them to build their walls as high as they can so that I can't get in. Well, and at least you can be the enemy that I can respect. Exactly. Don't be, yeah. you know, don't, you don't, don't get mad at me because I don't agree. Build your wall and don't let me in. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And I can go, those people are doing their thing. Right. Right. We don't have to go to war. Yeah. No, you've got your wall. I've got mine. I'm not going to exactly. try to get in your camp. Just don't Exactly. Exactly. Tanner, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. It's a good conversation. I know. I could probably go for another three hours, but I couldn't <laughs> really because I drank so much coffee. There you go, right? But uh, so before we take off, is there anything that you want to throw out there? I know you've got your book that is literally in my Audible a couple of times a month because I cycle through all of my books. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, The Appearance of Power. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. Yeah. And really, I mean, obviously we didn't talk about my bread and butter, which is really nice, you know, about the style stuff or anything else. But if you guys have enjoyed this conversation and you follow me on Twitter, because this is where you get, yeah, you get some of the style stuff and that's how I make my money. But these kinds of conversations, this is where this happens. And um, if you're interested in more of that, I, I alluded to, I run a show called Spiritual Arson and you can find that everywhere that you're finding Jeff's show and uh, give that a listen. It is very Latter-day Saint specific. 
And uh, at the same time, you'll find a lot of principles that we discuss in there that are going to be applicable to you, regardless of what your religious beliefs are. That's awesome. I love it. And uh, the spiritual arson, you have a co-host as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. His name's Adam Eberts, uh, J.A. Eberts on Twitter. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's fantastic. He was one of the first uh, one of the first guys that I found that was one of those unapologetic members on Twitter. And man, was that a breath of fresh air. So we've become good friends over the last few years. That's great. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the good positive things about social media is people that never would have met each other can now find each other. And if you just filter out all the crap and curate your feed, you can find people like the coolest people I know that I've met in real life are now people are people that I all originally met on Twitter. Yep. And I all hung out, I hung out with a majority of you in Florida last Such year. Such a powerful platform to really, you can just find some of the highest caliber of people from for me, my best clients to some of my best friends to men I respect and I appreciate seeing the things that they make, you know, business partners, so much of it comes from being smart about how you use your social media. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but also Tanner still didn't tell you, I'll tell you masculine style.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Masculine dash style.com. Yes. If you want to do style stuff, go check that out there. <laughs> Yeah, you, I, I can see that nice suit you got there in the back. Yeah, right. Thanks. That's a very, it's very nice. Yeah. Uh, I can't pull that off with this. I got to go. Actually, the juxtaposition there would be really good on you. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I was just talking about juxtaposition with my wife yesterday. Uh, you know, it was on Mother's Day. Uh, two of our boys wanted to take her out and go uh, some places real quick. I said, yeah, sure. I was working on a wood pro- uh, a woodworking project. I said, all right, go ahead. And I'm standing there. I'm just in a, a pair of shorts. That's it. I'm covered in black ink, uh-huh. beard, wild, long hair everywhere. And look over at her and she's kissing me in the front yard before she leaves. And the neighbors are just kind of wondering how she ended up with me <laughs> because she's got, you know, the rose lens sunglasses, her hair and makeup uh-huh. all done. She's all really put together with her nails. And it's like, they I love don't. It. Such a good contrast. Uh, oh yeah it really is like yin and yang yep uh right there that's wonderful again tanner thanks for coming on the show brother yeah thanks for having me on man it was great i'm excited to hear future guests i i love what you're doing with this yeah i'm i'm really happy about the direction that i decided to go the rugged legacy podcast was cool talking with two great men doing great things but that's too generic Uh uh-huh i mean especially now it's far, it's far too generic because great can pretty much mean anything, right? Well, yeah. why don't you have this guy on? He's, he's, a, he's a great oboist. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's mastery great is good cool. in that department. But awesome. Yeah. I respect you for grinding at the oboe, but that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, uh, for those of you watching, there will be links to everything Tanner and I talked about as far as where you can find him, uh, his products, uh, his book. Uh, by product, I mean where he makes his bread and butter as a masculine style coach. Uh, you can link up with him and get your style dialed in right. Also, you can find my book mentioned, uh, Empire Divided. It will be also in the notes. It's also in the banner on the YouTube channel. You can check that out as well. And until next time, this is Jeff. That's Tanner. And this has been episode two of The Perimeter.